First Kings chapter nine. It's already been said, but the session you just heard last hour is absolutely, absolutely life-changing if you can embrace it. It's interesting, when I went to college, uh, different pastors and evangelists would come, say, young men, you need a, I, th- I think back then they didn't use the word vision, it probably alluded to connotations they weren't comfortable with, I'm totally comfortable with visions, but uh, they'd say a purpose statement, and uh, I didn't have a clue, didn't have a clue, but uh, a few years into the ministry, God began to clarify the absolute need to understand what your purpose was, what your vision was. And what you're about to now see, I alluded to yesterday, and that's the recovery of our flood. And it totally changed my life. Clarified and intensified my vision in such a way that by God's grace, I will never turn back what I was, but what God wants me to be. Let's watch it, and then I'll focus on First Kings 9. <clears throat> the weather report on June 6, 2008, was the same as it had been for several weeks. Afternoon thunderstorms likely, some locally heavy rain, with a chance of flooding. Early Saturday morning, June 7th, a series of heavy storms moved through the Martinsville area in rapid succession leaving almost nine inches of rain. Though it stopped raining by mid-morning, the Indian Creek just south of Martinsville continued to rise, overflowing its banks, eventually flooding the south side of Martinsville. About 3.30 p.m., the ramp doors in the rear of the Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle surrendered to the pressure of nearly eight feet of water that had filled the ramp, and a wall of water rushed into the lower level of our facility. As the water continued to rise that afternoon, our lower level was filled with just over seven feet of water. The fellowship hall, kitchen, gymnasium, and classrooms on the east side of our facility were also damaged by about six inches of water. As the water started to recede, numerous generators and pumps arrived, and on Monday, June 9th, the process of removing the flood water and assessing the damage began. It was soon obvious the initial guesstimate of $200,000 in damage was much too low, with final estimates for damage and recovery exceeding $500,000. By the evening of June 9th, The water and debris had been cleared out of the east end of the facility, and the cleanup process began. Damaged flooring, drywall, and insulation had to be removed. By manning the pumps day and night, we were able to begin removing some of the contents in the lower level of our facility on Tuesday, June 10th. An army of volunteers showed up daily to remove furnishings, books, computers, and curriculum. It was quickly evident that everything would have to be discarded due to the floodwater contamination. On Wednesday, June 11th, we began removing the insulation and recently finished drywall in the lower level of our new auditorium. 
It was necessary to be creative as we continued the ministries of the Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle. The ramp entrance became an office. The gym balcony became a place to meet for Wednesday night prayer meeting. The Coston Funeral Chapel graciously accommodated us for our Sunday morning and evening church services. And backyards facilitated neighborhood vacation Bible school meetings. It was not until Old Fashioned Sunday, June 29th, that electricity was restored to our main auditorium and dehydration equipment was removed. After 10 days, the water finally stopped seeping into the facility, and we were able to begin the tedious process of cleaning every square inch of the facility, power washing and sanitizing each room. Almost all of this was done by generator power, since electrical power was not fully restored to the facility until August 8th, 63 days after the flood of June 7th. Our church families began to pray for the needs of each individual room when they were challenged by Pastor on July 6th with the fact that there were exactly 52 days from the time the water stopped seeping into our facility on June 17th until the staff orientation that was scheduled in August. He encouraged the membership to follow the example of Nehemiah. Families quickly responded to the challenge by committing to clean, repair, paint, and pray for the restoration of just one room. Soon, all 16 rooms had been claimed by faith as individual families accepted the challenge to personally be a part of the restoration process. Prayer meetings were held and Bible verses were written on the floors and framing in each room as a testimony of our faith that God would restore our classrooms and the ministries they represented. The weeks were filled with innumerable answers to prayer and miracles as God began to supply every need of the ministry in materials, equipment, finances, and labor. Even some of the proceeds from the second event held in the new Lucas Oil Stadium were donated to our need. Little by little, the facility was repaired and restored through thousands of hours of donated labor. Interior walls were rebuilt. 15,000 square feet of insulation was replaced. Twenty-two thousand square feet of drywall was provided, hung, and finished. Ten air handlers and twelve air conditioning condenser units were cleaned and restored. Dozens of linear feet of ductwork had to be cleaned or replaced. Two main power panels had to be replaced and all others cleaned. Sixty thousand square feet of walls and ceiling were sanitized, primed, and painted. Kitchen cabinets were restored or replaced and installed. 12,000 square feet of flooring had to be installed. One by one, dozens of electrical outlets and light switches were replaced. 
the fire alarm and phone systems had to be installed. Ceiling tiles were replaced. Finally, restrooms were renovated. Sixteen classrooms were repaired and refurnished. Now, over $100,000 in printed material had been supplied. 30 solid core doors, hardware, and frames had been installed. Computers and file servers have been replaced and programmed. Pianos have been donated or purchased. God has certainly kept his promise in Ephesians 3.20, doing exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We called upon our God, and he was faithful to show us great and mighty things that we had never before experienced. It seems inadequate to simply say thank you for your gifts, prayers, support, and labor of love. But we sincerely appreciate all you have done for us. That was one year after the flood recovery. We invited every person, every business, every company that had helped us recover and simply thanked them with a standing ovation for what they had done. Hundreds of thousands of dollars was restored. We had no money. We didn't have insurance. And yet God took care of it. I don't have time to tell you the stories of the flood recovery specifically as far as all the things that God did in unusual and miraculous ways. The purpose of showing it to you this morning is this. God was beginning to give me a pretty intense and focused vision for Martinsville, for Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle, for the ministry that he had given us. And then one Saturday morning... It rained and rained and rained, actually, Friday night. We thought we were past it. The sun was shining. Water was starting to go away, but that Indian Creek overflowed its banks, and the flood water gradually moved toward Martinsville, and within 15 minutes, we went from a couple of inches of water in our lower level to seven feet of water. All the water you saw in the pictures was about two to four feet deeper at its deepest point, but we didn't have any cameras, weren't even thinking about taking pictures at that point. And God, in that moment on Saturday afternoon, about 4 o'clock, when I went over to see what the facility was like, expecting to see a few inches and seeing instead seven feet of water, I will never forget, I suppose, as long as I have my senility. Senility. Apparently, it's already there. <laughs> Sanity. That's what I meant to say. As long as I have my sanity, I suspect I will always remember waiting in with waiters for whatever reason. I had the forethought to take them with me. Going through the front parking lot, looking in what we call the Burton Lane door and seeing all the water, I walked around the other way thinking somehow it wouldn't be as deep on the other end and found out indeed it is true, water seeks its own level. 
And we had that seven feet of water everywhere. I came back through the auditorium, went down that stairway, stood on the landing, leaned my hand against the wall. And I said these words, this is going to be exciting. That is not me. My personality is the glass is always half empty, never half full. Everything's a bummer. But God in that moment gave me grace to understand that he had a purpose. I'm confronting you with this in this session, and I believe God is in it. Because as students like yourself get a real focus and vision for what God wants, you get a sense of purpose of what God has for your life. You get placed in that ministry where God is working, something is going to happen. And not everything is going to happen the way you expected, as we alluded to yesterday, as was already addressed in the previous hour. And we need to understand that unfulfilled expectations lead to disappointment. And disappointment can very easily turn into bitterness. And we've seen far too many young people, we've seen far too many servants of God come from that place of expectation and anticipation and excitement to a place where they're confused, frustrated. And if they were really honest, they'd just simply say, I'm angry with God. And I've talked to enough to know that that's exactly what has happened. In 1 Kings chapter 9, we have an unusual passage beginning with verse 10. It says, and it came to pass at the end of 20 years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, now Hiram, the king of Tyre, had furnished Solomon with cedar trees, fir trees, with gold according to all his desire, that then King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. And Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they pleased him not. And he said, What cities are these which thou hast given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul unto this day. I may be taking the analogy way too far, and I won't take a lot of time with building the background, but I ask these questions. Why did Solomon give these cities to Hiram? The cities were in the northern region of Israel and had been occupied by the heathen tribes of the Canaanites. It's assumed that the cities may not have been in very good condition. I did quite a bit of reading about this, just trying to kind of wrap my mind around it and think about different analogies. They may not have been in the greatest condition when they were given to Hiram, but that is not known for sure. I am confident that Solomon was not trying to offend Hiram. And at this time in Solomon's life, he is still serving God and being faithful. Hiram had just given Solomon significant gifts, donations, to build the temple and his own palace. Solomon was trying to bless Hiram, not offend him. So why did Hiram reject the cities? It's possible they were not well-maintained or updated as we suggested. The word simply means dirty. 
It implies the idea of displeasing. comes from a word that means fettered or binding. So in the context, Hiram said, these are worthless, they're unproductive, they're limited, they're sterile, they're unfruitful, they're useless. Simply stated, they're nothing. They're nothing. It's quite possible that they were not in a location convenient to Hiram. He was in the shipping business. These cities were inland, and they may have been seen by him as hemmed in. That's another implication of the word. And not going to benefit him, he would have probably preferred them along the Mediterranean coast, but here they are inland, and he said, they're nothing. It's at least certain that these cities had no value to Hiram. He said, they're Kabul, bound, fettered. I can see no benefit in them. What happened to the cities? Second Chronicles chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 shed some light on the matter. And you might want to just turn over there so that you can see it. But obviously Hiram gave them back to Solomon. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 8 it says, And it came to pass at the end of 20 years, wherein Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, that the cities which Hiram had returned to Solomon, Solomon built them and caused the children of Israel to dwell there. I want to emphasize that this is a time when Solomon is doing right. God is using him. He still loves the Lord. He's properly seen as, I believe, a type of Christ as our king. In 1 Kings 9, 3, 2 Chronicles 8, 12, God states specifically that he's heard Solomon's prayer. And it's in this context that we have our great promise that we claim for revival. Solomon at this point cared for Israel. He wanted to be a blessing to them. The cities had been given back to him, and he built them and gave them to his people. I come to this conclusion. Apparently Hiram did not see what Solomon saw. Solomon saw potential. Hiram said they're worthless. Now here's where we're going. Have we ever received something from God and we said, Kabul. What's this, my brother? What is this, my God? What is this, my king? What have you done? Why this? Why now? I can remember so many times in my early ministry when I was struggling to wrap my mind around the idea of whether or not God would even use me. In a ministry that was struggling, I walked into the doors of the fastest shrinking Christian school in Illinois when I graduated from college. Every Monday I walked in and there were fewer students in the learning center that was an ACE school back then than there were the week before. And I'd say, where's so-and-so? And the kids would just laugh. They knew they were leaving. The parents had lost confidence in that ministry. 
The pastor had been run out. The school administrator had resigned. I don't know why, but I sense strongly that that's where God wanted me. 21 years old, trying to administrate a Christian school. Fill the pulpit of a vacant because a pastor was not there. Preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, teaching Sunday school, doing a Sunday night before church training union, what they call running the Wednesday night uh, ministry and running the youth ministry and driving the bus for the Christian school and teaching in the classroom and administrating the school after hours. And it was shrinking. And it was discouraging. Kabul. Won't go into all the details, but I was only there two years. The pastor ran off with the secretary. I was in another ministry. And a pastor across town started a church. Didn't call it a Baptist church. He came out of the Southern Baptist movement, started an independent church, called it a Bible church with Baptist doctrine. I had a church with about 80 people in it, a Christian school with about the same he starts a church across town, and it's running 100, 200, and pretty soon 400. I think, what's up with this? Part of what was up with it, he had a personality I didn't. But I began to see the fruit of that ministry and the lack of standards and lack of clear doctrinal declaration, and I realized I didn't want what they had, but I wanted more than what I had. God began to gradually build that ministry, and I left with the students at attendance at 96, I believe it was, and the church was running about 110. God called me to my present ministry. And I'm not going to go through all the details of all the disappointments and the struggles and the challenges and the blessings. It's been a great ministry. It's amazing what God has done. And I could give you different highlights and different low points in that ministry, but the flood symbolizes it all. God had been using us. God was doing some things. God was beginning to move, and a lot of that I credit to the fact that I found out somebody else believed actually what I believed and what I was sensing, and I started coming to what was called then the Holiness Conference at a church up there in Wisconsin, the cold, desolate, barren land of Wisconsin, and I found my soul fed, and I found myself seeing things that I, I, I didn't quite dare to believe God was saying. And then a flood. Kaboom. But for whatever reason, in that situation, God gave me a different spirit, a spirit of grace instead of a spirit of discouragement. So I'm just asking you, have you ever said Kaboom? When the king tried to give you something, when the king saw a chance to expand your empire and you just saw it as hemmed in. That's not what you're used to doing. You've been working over here. You've been in the shipping business. And God brings something to you, and he hands it to you, and you say, Kabul, what's this for? It's worthless. I see no benefit. I see no point. 
What if Hiram had asked the king, why these cities? I believe Solomon maybe could have shed some light on his vision for the cities. It could have helped Hiram see what he saw. Hiram just gave him back. The Bible says God causes his sun to shine upon the righteous and the unrighteous. It rains for both. But God expects his children to understand what to do with the blessings and the sunshine and the trials that he gives them. Though the world may not. We often show our lack of faith by rejecting what God has given us, and instead of thanking God, we are angry and say, Kabul. What is this, my brother? Why here? Why now? I want you to consider with me times that God's people could have said the same thing that Hiram said. Job's wife said, curse God and die. But Job said, what are you saying? Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not the evil? The sense there is the hardship, the trial, the difficult times. With all this, Job refused to curse God. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He refused to say Kabul. Paul said, I have a thorn, but God's strength was made perfect in weakness. Gideon said, I'm the least in God's house. But God said, you're going to be a mighty man of valor. You'll deliver Israel from the Midianites as one man. Moses fled into the wilderness, but God met him at the burning bush. And used him as he intended. God had a great plan. Joseph could have said it's Kabul. When he was sold by his brothers as a slave. And when he was lied about by Potiphar's wife. When the chief butler forgot about him as he was sitting there in the jail. But I believe that he kept that vision alive. We don't have a lot, but I love the verse that says when his brothers came, it says, and Joseph remembered the dream. Oh, I love it. I forgot to mention that. But Joseph remembered the dream. Yeah. Yeah. There's times that God is going to take you down a path you don't understand. There's times the road is going to turn. There's times the direction's not going to seem make sense. And of course, I'm speaking, I'm going to address the possibility that we are the cause of our own disappointment sometimes. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there's times that God is going to turn your life a direction that doesn't make any sense. I studied to be a preacher. I wanted to be an evangelist. I ended up being a Christian school administrator. Some of the most miserable times in my life were Christian school administration. I'm telling you the truth. I want to say Kabul. I want to preach. There was five years in my life where I hardly ever got a chance to preach except to little kids. It's okay, but when you're, you, your heart is burning with messages, it's not enough. 
But I'll tell you now, young people, I'd not trade those miserable years of Christian school administration without the opportunities to preach for anything because it is what I am now, and God is able to use me now in ways I could never be used if I had not had that Kabul experience. David could have said Kabul when he'd been anointed to be the next king of Israel, but found himself chased by 3,000 of Saul's choicest men all across the Judean hillside. Fleeing, 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 as we mentioned yesterday. But what a man to weep and grieve when Saul was finally killed. And let God in his time bring him to the thrown to the kingdom that God had intended for him. I guess Jesus Christ could have said it's Kabul. When he was betrayed by Judas, abandoned by his disciples, and cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But there the very Son of God, the creator of the universe, hung, bound by our sin, hemmed in, if you could say, by our sin, dirty, because of me, and became the first fruits of many. We know that God says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Here we go again, yeah, boy. My ways are not your ways, or your ways are not my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens, young people, don't you ever forget it. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than yours. You have a vision. You've been challenged. Don't you dare let anybody take you from it. There's something unusual going on in fundamentalism, but there's a spirit stirring, and there's this expectation that is beginning to be communicated by some hearts that are hungry and longing for God to do something that they've not seen Him do. People are getting desperate. I came back from a preacher's meeting to my staff here just just before Christmas, I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was in November. And I'd been stirred because I'd heard some of the stories that are being alluded to uh, here in these, these sessions that we've had this first week of your second semester. And God is moving. There are places where God is doing things that can only be explained by God. I was so stirred and moved by it. A story of leaders, senators, and legislators in Washington, D.C. literally laying themselves in their business suits and their, in their formal dresses before God and crying out to Him. They said it sounded like a birthing room. It's people groaned before their God saying, God, we need you. You've got to move. A couple of things I heard about in West Virginia of all places. God's moving. 
heard about a 15-year-old young man that got saved in a revival service in his church, walked into his public school, didn't know what to do with it except to open up his Bible and stand at the end of the hallway and start preaching the gospel. And God stirred in that public school. Came back to my staff and I tried to communicate to them just how it had stirred my heart. We don't need a different president as much as we need the God of the universe to bring to us that, that, that living water, that fresh reviving, the stirring of His Spirit. And sometimes we don't understand how He's going to bring it about. And what we have a tendency to say is Kabul. God has a great promise or a great plan, a great purpose. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know the verses, but I want to point out something to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just going to focus on verses 27 and 28 just to make a point. That's in the New Testament, students. You knew that, didn't you? Did you know that, brother? He said, what are you saying? I, I have, I've already got it. It's the other kids that are still turning their pages. <laughs> Regardless of where all we have the scriptures, I still like to hear the pages of God's word turned. I just really like to hear it. It's good stuff. Look at verses 27 and 28. God hath chosen the foolish, what's the next word? Things. Of the world to confound the wise, and God has choos- chosen the weak. What's the next word? Things. Of the world to confound the next word. Things which are mighty. And base, next word. Of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which we are not, which are not to bring to naught things that are. I distracted you just with the word things. I teach homiletics class. I teach kids principles and how to preach and communicate God's word. And I say, don't use the word things. There's got to be something more descriptive than things. But God uses it several times, and it really impresses me. God hath not chosen the foolish things of this world to confound, or God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. I am saying, my God can use the things in our life to do something exceptional. Things. I get so frustrated with things in the ministry. I'm not not talking, you know, the distractions of possessions and that stuff, but things happen. Things happen. God brought these things into our life because he meant it for good. We might tend to be like Hiram and doubt the intent of our father's gift and complain that the king could have done something better and say, my brother, what are these? Kabul, worthless, nothing. But God wants to give us a vision for the things. 
that he brings into our life. Communicate to us his confidence that he can use those circumstances to bring honor to himself. You know Jeremiah, but I want you to see it as well. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. For thus saith the Lord, the sovereign of the universe, the God of my salvation, my King of kings and Lord of lords, thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Some of you may feel like you're hemmed in. You may feel like the circumstances of life are limiting you. That's not the case at all. God is preparing you and showing you that he can use the things. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. Oh, how desperately God wants to get a hold of hearts here. And he's stirring, and he's moving, he's working. I get stirred every time I preach here, see your response to your God. But I'm saying to you, do not let the disappointments of life keep you from the purpose of God. God knows what he's purposed. And he knows the intent is good and not evil. To bring you to an expected end. How often are we like Israel? God brings a deliverer to us. We could say our salvation that day when we understand that he has set us free from the bondage and the slavery. But we start experiencing the same trials and hardships that Egypt experienced. But there's a day when God makes a separation. And he says, you're mine. They're not. And we come out with a mighty hand and find ourselves up against the Red Sea. With the chariots of the devil himself thundering down upon us. We say, what is this, my king? Why here? Why now? Because he wants to show you that he's got something. He wants to show you this is going to be exciting. 52 of the most intense days of my life I ever lived was after that flood. But I wouldn't trade him for anything in the world. It changed my life. The things. We see God work at the Red Sea and we come across and no more than we get across and the water is bitter and we say, what is this, my king? But in time, the waters turn sweet. We say, but what are we going to eat? What are we going to do? And God feeds us with manna from heaven, brings us quail, 
follows us through the wilderness with that rock, which is Christ Jesus. And I wonder this morning, young people, how different things would have been if the children of Israel, every time those hardships had come, instead of complaining and saying, we need to go back to Egypt, they'd said, I wonder what God's going to do now. I wonder what God's going to do now. I wonder what God's going to do now. Let's wait and see what God's going to do now. But it did not happen. They complained and griped and grumbled. And at the brink of entering into rest and the place of victory, they turned back in defeat because they were used to saying, Kabul, what is this? And two men with their best of efforts, Joshua and Caleb, could not persuade the people of God to believe God has meant this for good. And for 38 years they wandered. You hear God this morning, young people. Some of you will wander. If you do not see the circumstances of life as God's gift to you, to do something exceptional again. But we so often, though God gets us out of the scrape, we somehow don't embrace the magnificence and the splendor of our God. And we keep thinking the next ones, our demise, when God means it to be our delivery. So they wandered for 38 years. I'm wondering this morning if some here, even in the midst of your education, are just kind of wandering. Well, you get a hold of the last session. Write it down and review it often. God has a plan in the things that you're doing. Time after time, they fought against God's word, refused to claim God's promises. And in the end, they created their own Kabul. Yet in that wilderness, their clothes did not wear out, and God continued to feed him. I cannot believe the God that we serve. How patient and merciful and gracious he is to stubborn rebels like us. But he has a purpose. He wants to bring you back to that Jordan River and get you to come across by faith. And not say, the waters are flooded, what can we do? But rather, sanctify yourselves. Set yourself apart for his holy purpose and let him part the water and go across into victory. And you no more than get there, and I guarantee you there will be a Jericho. And God wants you to claim it by faith, and no matter how many times you walk, march around that city, and it seems nothing has happened at the end of the day, as Dr. Rick Flanders has so, said so many times, God is working, I guarantee you. And in the end, the walls come down. Don't say it's Kabul. Loss of a loved one, financial pressure, criticism, false accusations, a personal failure, illness. Some of you have gotten labeled. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> ADD. 
Some of you are ADHD. It not only means you get easily distracted, but you get angry because you're easily distracted. I've got dyslexia. I could blame it on old age. It's getting worse. I know I need to go north and I go south. It drives me nuts. Your folks were down there making the last recording. They said, how do we get back? Your wife said, how do we get back? I said, go turn left. I sent her east. I knew she had to go west. <laughs> she called me and said, are you sure, Brother Zemple? Hey, tell her I'm right. I never make mistakes. I said, whoops. <laughs> turn around. Go the other direction. Go toward the sunset. It's frustrating. But it doesn't keep you from serving God. Sometimes we recognize that there's handicaps and there's situations, but listen to me, God created you exactly like he wanted you. Don't make excuses for not letting God use your life. God loves to take things that are ashes and make something beautiful. God is capable of taking the years that the locusts have eaten and restore them. It is not your license to live carelessly or foolishly. It is your promise to access the grace of God no matter where you are and let God do something with your life. Don't say kabul. Oh, how different it would have been for Israel if they'd entered in 38 years earlier. Because they were excited about every challenge, anticipating every move of God, expecting another miracle. But instead, they said, the giants are too big. The cities are walled. And we cannot. Exactly. But God can. We cannot. But Caleb and Joshua said, if God delights in us, he'll do it for us. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Father, I don't know what hardship, what trial, what disappointment is facing some student in here this morning. I don't know what challenge you'll face this semester, but you've done too much for this student body to turn back. Lord, we need this institution. We need this place of learning, and we need young people coming out of here with full confidence and absolute assurance that you can move in unusual ways in their communities, their ministries, this nation, impacting the world for your glory. Lord, help us not to be like Hiram and say, what are these, my brother? But rather seek the face of our God and say, God, what do you want me to do with these? How can I use them to show glory to your kingdom? Father, teach us that truth that you want us to receive, I pray. Keep us focused and moving forward, regardless of the circumstances in Christ's name. Amen.